Hey guys, welcome to Travel Notes, a show where we use music as a medium to explore ways in which we are all connected. I'm your host, Grace McNally, and guess what? It's Travel Notes' first full trip around the sun at our 12th episode. Remember in episode one, how we traveled all the way from Mali to the Mississippi Delta? Well, today we go full circle back to Mali, but this time to explore Malayan traditional kora music with our very special guest, South African guitarist Derek Gripper. Derek Gripper has pioneered transcribing traditional Malayan kora music onto the classical guitar. In addition, he composes his own music, teaches, and collaborates with musicians from all over the world. We dive deep into the nitty-gritty, not-so-pretty side of the classical guitar. We explore the connection between Chora Master Tumani Giobate and J.S. Bach. We talk about lessons Derek has learned from studying Chora music and how he has applied them to the classical guitar repertoire. And Derek even performs a song off of his album, Billy Goes to Durban, which is inspired by Southern Baptist preacher Billy Graham. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Let's get started. Cool. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Grace. Thanks for having me. So you've had a long and eclectic musical career, um, starting on the violin? Yes. I took violin lessons uh, from when I was seven. Uh, my dad was living in London and he sent me a violin as a present. Mm. I wanted the cello. <laughs> the cello. Smaller, but you know, it's more portable, so the violin, which is nice. Um, You've tra traversed genres and built a bridge between two seemingly different musical traditions and instruments. You found your way to the classical guitar too, from the violin. I did finally find this instrument, which is, <laughs> was, was kind of fun. Uh, I had a, a wonderful teacher at school who was assigned as my piano teacher, and he actually was a classical guitarist and had studied in London and uh, with Carlos Bonell and the Royal, Royal College. And he arrived fresh from his degree and was a wonderful classical guitarist and and the shame he had to teach me piano with his nails clicking away <laughs> and so slowly he converted me and I, I i made the switch i'm imagining some years later but you built a bridge between the guitar and the west african kora gourd instrument had you played a kora at that point have you ever tried one no. No, I'd never played one. I'd never seen one. I didn't know what a Cora was. Cape Town is very not Cora country. You're going to find more Coras in South Carolina than you are going to be in South Africa, for sure. Um, uh, so it all happened. You know, I was really just struggling to work out what I wanted to do with the guitar. There was the classical guitar repertoire. Um, I was always a, in, a, in a little bit of opposition to it. Uh, firstly, via the sort of academic music tradition, messian and, you know, whatever, you know, all that stuff they teach you at university that you can't do on guitar. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was always like, you know, I wanted the guitar to be something other than it was. Sure. And, and then I started playing this guitar, which is uh, a Hauser, and I sort of got interested in the history of, you know, what is the, what is the repertoire for this instrument? And mm -hmm. so then I started for the first time exploring, this was after university, started exploring the repertoire of you know, Segovia repertoire. You know, but once you sort of get through the kind of the interest of it, like as a player, you realize, yeah, it's kind of lollipoppy sometimes, you know. Like, totally. Yes. Yeah. So um, I got really excited about classical guitar again, actually at Hermann Hauser's house in, in Reisbach in Germany. I went to visit him to get my guitar. 
and we watched uh, the Julian Bream documentary. I think it was Music from the Earth or Music of the Earth or something. The final beautiful documentary that was made about him. And he did two or three performances on there, which I actually did a sort of tribute to in the recent uh, New York Guitar Festival. I wrote a piece um, kind of inspired by those three performances he, he does uh, yeah. in Snape Maltings. Uh, he, beautiful yeah. play. And he's really like just pulling out all the sounds of the instrument, which is kind of rare these days to really hear the classical guitar being played as the kind of, you know, dirty, messy, uh, out of control instrument that it is. It felt to me like, whoa, this is a signpost. You know? And that's been one of the little kind of, you know, things that have inspired me. And then I heard Tumani Diabate's album Kyra, and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know if it was one, two, three people, nothing. Uh, but I was really drawn to the music. It was plucked string music, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, God, imagine if you could actually play music like this on a guitar. And at the same time, I was discovering Egberto Gismonti. This was like 2000. Uh, you know, so Gismonti was going way down the road that Bream was, was, was hinting at. You know, Gismonti yeah. had like sold the car, you know, <laughs> and, and then Tumani had, you know, had all the kind of complexity and counterpoint that you wanted to hear in Bach, but often didn't, not because of Bach, but because of, you know, how we were conditioned to play Bach, you know, via keyboard instruments. So, so it was immensely inspiring and I, I slowly you know, I suppose 2000 is pre-Google, right? So I slowly learned, you know, what this instrument was, what it looked like. And it was kind of a 20-year, weird 20-year uh, journey into, you know, understanding what it was all about to some tiny degree. Yeah. What, um, what kind of connections or um, similarities did you see in Tumani Giabate and Bach? like as in terms of music and maybe just who they were as musicians? Well, you have to use the guitar for this. So, you know, Bach, I mean, you can't parody these things, you know, but how I was thinking about it, you know, you're looking at it on a page. And you're kind of seeing the subdivisions and you're seeing the, the melodic nature of it. And then you hear Tumani. Tumani's playing where he's got this kind of explosive. He's got this explosive thing happening. So I started first, I couldn't play that music, of course. And so I started off thinking, well, what would happen if I started to think of the phrases as these kind of energetic releases? So that's the first thing that Tumani taught me was how to phrase Bach differently 
and I would explore it. And then I'd listen to Dismonti and I'd think, okay, well, this is wild. The same as the Bream space, you know, really going into the, 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 the guts of the instrument, you know, feeling like what is a guitar, you know, when you take a note, you know, when you stop thinking about notes on the stave and phrasing or, 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 or the, the top voice and the bottom voice and this kind of analytical yeah. way that we were trained in a way, you know, and I don't want to generalize, but the way I was maybe trained. No, totally. or, or allowed myself to think about music. Uh, so then I would, you know, re-enter, you know, the Bach space like that and go like, okay, well, where's the, you know, where's the sort of the sound? You know, what is the guitar? You know, and really, so, so ah, I you... the poor Bach, you know, he had, to, he had to put up with all this stuff, but you know, he's, he's fine with it. What's, what's different with, what's therapeutic with uh, Tumani's music is this, this thing called, which I've used the term Kumbengo, which I think is not actually a Malian term. I think that's a Gambian term. I always get, I'm, I'm terrible academic in that sense. But you have this, this thing, which is the basic riff, the basic cycle, the accompaniment, like in Jarabi, you know? Right. So that's, that's it. it. Start. Start. And this can keep going and keep going. Right. Now, the wonderful thing about this is that it gives you this sense of space. You can wait here for a long time until you're ready to go with your melody. And then you can return to it. context from the linearity of something like a piece of Bach where you can end up you know three pages in breathless you know like oh when is this yeah. going to end it's like running so, a marathon or something it gave me the sense of of like of, of just being able to wait now with Bach that's a little different because of course you have a text and it's going and there's you can't just stay on one bar for for 13 seconds while you catch your breath and remember the room Right. But there's a lot of space in between phrases. There's a lot of space in between things where, where you can find that again in a, in a much smaller way, but it is, it is there. So once I had that experience of, of, of having a kind of control over time or an ability to work, work with time and, and change time as opposed to running after the clock, you know, running after the metronome, and I've got to keep time. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that I had to really reinvestigate. I had to investigate, you know, my performance of Bach and and what that felt like to me. And there was it was I was it was so obvious in a concert, you know, the physiological difference of the two. And I, I had to make a lot of changes. And now there isn't for me a, a physiological difference anymore, which but that took a long time. You know, Bach used to give me a sore chest. Oh, sure. <laughs> I used to give myself a sore chest in relation to in relation to yeah <laughs> i must be fair to the man <laughs> yeah yeah so tumani giabate invited you to play with him yeah i never had a really like huge desire to play with him just mm -hmm. like maybe you know you know when you're interpreting someone's music you don't want to necessarily go jam with them you maybe want to have you know you maybe do but it's, it's a different realm really you know uh, i think and you know, the idea of, yeah, 
collaborating with his music. I was collaborating with him already. You know, he made these yeah. beautiful recordings. I loved them. I thought, what would happen if I? That's the collaboration. Uh, but it was great when, when he, um, for many reasons. Uh, one, because it was my first opportunity to go to West Africa. Uh, just that was just an opportunity that I never really created for for myself, and it never it never came along really. And I think that was it was a lucky it was lucky for me. Uh, you know, if I, I think if I'd lived, for example, in the U.S., I've got friends who are really into this music, and they did the most obvious thing was first of all they found the guy down the road who was an actual griot. Um, and took lessons and played and joined their band and then they would go to Mali, you know, so they have such a first-hand exposure of the tradition as it exists, to, you know, mm -hmm. at that moment. Yeah. Um, I was lucky in that being in South Africa, it just never occurred to me to go there, you know, I mean, it, it just seemed so unreachable. Um, so I explored the music as texts and not that they were written texts, but recorded texts. Mm -hmm. So after I think 2016 was when he invited me to come to Mali. Uh, he was doing a festival of acoustic music. So it was a perfect opportunity uh, to be kind of looked after by the grandmaster. Yeah. Actually have a performance, a, um, a performance booked. And also that I had this repertoire already of the music, but I kind of had no idea of the context, um, of course. You know, I was approaching it as a classical musician, very consciously saying, this is a text. What happens if we start uh, interpreting this text in interesting ways, different ways, you know, um, just because that, that's what we do in classical music. You know, we, we take a text and we say, you know, this is, this is how I'm playing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got to see people playing the Korah at four in the morning, playing Jarabi uh, for an hour, you know, and, and what that meant. Um, I, I, I got to understand, I think for a classical musician, uh, the best thing that I learned was this this beautiful realm between the polarities of rec recitation and improvisation. You know, we have these kind of polarities where we think classical music musicians learn the music and recite it, and jazz musicians improvise. Um, you know, and and that's not really that true. You know, depending on each of those musicians, you've got jazz musicians who just dialing it in, you know, they've got a Dorian mode and off they go and it's just kind of the same every time. Right. And you've got Keith Jarrett, who's, you know, composing out of, out of thin air in long solo concerts. And in classical music, you've got people who've decided exactly how loud they want to be at bar 53. Yeah. And then they're going to diminuendo for four bars and then they're going to slow down slightly. And then you've got other classical musicians who are not, who are not doing that at all. And there's a massive amount of, 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 of improvisation. And, you know, we're insecure about improvisation because we think it means that we have to improvise the cadenza in a concerto or something, or we have to, you know, be able to improvise the piece. But improvisation can also be the improvisation of nuance you know, and dynamics and, t and tone. And mm. so when you have a guitar and a score, you mm. have all these variables. And that's kind of what, what, I'm, what I'm talking about, what you hear in the, the Bream recording, what you hear in the Cabello Gismonti, you know, this, that is part of our palette of improvisation how am i gonna you know what does that one note want today the second right now maybe tomorrow yeah. different and not having to academically justify that or get involved in any kind of discussion <laughs> around that that's the improvisation you know, i think of it as like an improvisation of nuance or, or uh, yeah yeah it definitely and i've never been to mali but i imagine people like 
sitting around, you know, it's a very kind of like raw kind of way to create, to play, but then you have the more classical tradition where it's something that has been put on a stage and you know what I mean? Like kind of a different way where music comes from. It almost feels like music comes from that place in Mali. You know what I mean? Like that more kind of raw space in someone's home maybe. I think again, it's this thing of, you know, like like I was saying this last five years and what it's done to our ideas about things like going to a party and hugging a friend, you know, that's changed and, yeah. you know, things, things change. And, you know, how, how has classical music as a kind of received European tradition of performance fantasized idea of, you know, um, as it is now, you know, what is it now, you know, photoshopped album covers, highly edited uh, performances, uh, you know, well-dressed, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> this whole thing, tone production, all these things, you know, this has been a trajectory. It wasn't the case like it is now 20 years ago. It wasn't like that 100 years ago. The expectations were different. And of course, before the recording era, we have no idea, you know, what, what, what it was. The spot basement tapes could have shown us a lot. Uh, yeah, they would have blown it all out of the water. So, so I think that under the tree courtyard Mali vibe is a, is a particular thing and, and the classical concert hall as it exists now is a particular thing and, and we need conversation, you know, I think that's what we need uh, more than anything right now is conversation. You know, there's a lot that I've learned from Tumani that I, that I, if I never played another Cora piece, I would be immensely enriched by having experienced his music, even if I was just playing classical guitar pieces. Uh, and the other way around, you know, too, there's, there's, a, there's something you learn about Tumani's music when you have it written down on the score for the first time. And, and you're not learning something that was missing. You're learning something that you missed. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, I understood and loved his music, but once I started playing it, I started seeing all sorts of different things that I hadn't, that I hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. And it became a, a very rich experience. So, you know, it's very much this conversation between these extremes, between recitation, improvisation, switch it around, what happens, etc. Mm-hmm. Well, and it reminds me too, just like the way life is there and then to and like the music kind of reflects that in the space that there's more time, time seems to just be more, there's more of it. <laughs> and then he, somewhere where classical music, like, you know, Europe or um, the cities in Europe and that kind of thing have a much different way of life. And, you know, and it's kind of reflected, I feel in some ways in the music, not that the, you can't find like you did in, Western music and classical music, that same space or perceive it in that way, you know. Um, is there another another piece that you'd like to showcase or talk about? Well, what I've been doing recently is I've been uh, I've been writing again because I was I was writing my own music and then I got um, uh, hijacked by this Cora project and I kind of didn't do anything else for about ten years. Uh, uh, in terms of performing and that, you know, so I, there were a few of my own compositions that survived. 
one is a piece called Joni that I, I carried on playing a lot and developing. Uh, uh, but now I've just released an album called Billy Goes to Durban. Interestingly, it has a connection to South Carolina because the, the story is actually, I took this little reel-to-reel with me up to Durban, which is about a 12-hour drive or something from Cape Town. And I, I had a box of old uh, reels. And when I arrived there, I put one on. Uh, I was with my friend. I was going to visit my friend Guy Buttery. We were going to record together. And I pressed play. And it said, welcome to Durban, which was quite a weird thing. And it was in, there was actually a, it was a sermon in a stadium. There were 70,000 people. I did the research afterwards. Uh, and it was Billy Graham. Giving oh, a, that ch- giving church? Yeah, the, the charismatic preacher, you know, he was like, he was in South Africa in 1973. And I had the reel-to-reel recording of his sermons that someone had given to me in a box. So I recorded over it. Uh, sorry, Billy. And <laughs> but you can still hear, you know, little bits where, where, I left, where I left the audience. And there's, you know, you can hear in the album little, little bits of, of, his, of people singing and announcements and things like that. Yeah, so, so the point of the story is uh, that album is all my own compositions. And I could play you one of them it's called it's like kind of the, the opening track it's called seeing nobody I, I wrote it in new york uh i was i missed my flight back home and i so i had a wonderful three or four days just by myself uh, i was staying in the lower east side and didn't see anybody and i played a lot of guitar and i made up this tune Like a, that's like a simple sort of song thing on the record and then there's there's a that was a pre-composed one and then there's some improvised pieces uh, that you know explore different things and are quite a lot more abstract and there was one actually that uh, I used the the tuning from Equinox you know the Takamitsu piece which is 
information on there that I then later try to to uh, relearn because there were some nice parts and then I, I didn't end up doing that because it was kind of a hassle. So I ended up writing a new piece, which is why this is actually here because I've just finished making a recording of it. it sounds like... Wow, oh, that's really interesting. With that tuning. <laughs> so I can I can play you that if you want. Sure, love that. There's a little What's that? Was he modeling this? Was this tuning uh, di like reflecting another instrument? Is that kind of, or is it just something? I like don't know. Takamitsu sort of treats the instrument like a found found object. I think <laughs> and he, he, like, he, he tunes it in a beautiful way and then finds beautiful sounds on it. Gotcha. Um, wonderful way of using the, the instrument. Uh, upcoming shows, performances, and any current projects you have you want to share with us? Mm. Well, the, the one project which has been very, um, uh, very close to me uh, over the last two years has been my COVID project, which has been start a kind of guitar ashram online, uh, where we play uh, three days a week at the moment, but during, uh, during the sort of battle days of, of, 
the lockdowns, we were playing every day, probably three hours in different time zones. And it's, it's a group, a group class. We, we meet up like this on Zoom um, and we explore Bach and the West African music and a few other things. I'm also going on tour a little bit, a little bit. I'll be in the US February, Mar February March for a month. I've just come back from uh, Switzerland. Uh, I'm recording a lot. I have a new record label called Platoon who do wonderful things for me and are really inspiring me to record again. Uh, so since I joined them, I've released quite a few albums, one with cellist Mike Block, who's from Boston. Uh, we, we made an album called Saturday Morning in Boston. And we played our first concert together since that recording two years ago. Uh, recently in Rhode Island as part of the Rhode Island Guitar Festival. I've been collaborating with a chora player in New York, originally from Mali, called Yakuba Sisoko. We did some workshops and performances on the West Coast. Uh, yeah, so... Very cool, kind of lots of interesting things. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate, thanks for your time and for playing for us, that was incredible. Um, it really has been such a treat, always is a treat talking with with you so thank you oh thanks grace it was great to hang out thanks so much for listening guys if you found yourself wanting to hear more of derek's hypnotizing guitar music fear not there is a longer version on youtube of this episode where we dive into even more topics like yoga the bach basement tapes gaga dance language ancient eastern kate bow music and much much more you definitely don't want to miss it and if you listen to the show, give us a follow on Instagram and wherever you stream your podcasts. And as always, don't get too comfy because our next trip is just around the corner.